The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Back to the Future, Back in Time, our recommended game of the week, discuss themes in game schooling in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with the High Five Reiner Knizia games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Reiner McCabe. What is <laughs> happening, Doug? You've been waiting for that one, huh? Yeah, how's it going? What's new? Oh, man, it's going great. Really happy to be here talking board games, talking game schooling, and just talking shop, man. How about you? I'm fantastic. Did you get, and I don't even have anything else to add to that. That just You're just fantastic. Things are great. Things Good. are great. What uh, have you played the past week? Well, I actually played a family favorite game and Sentry Gollum Edition. I thought you were going to say Sleeping Queens. No, no. Sentry Gollum Edition. I, my oldest daughter, Josie, had had a lot of screen time on Saturday, and I just said, shut up. We got to do something. Let's play a board game. Let's do something. Go pick mm-hmm. out a game. And she put me in a bind. She brought up Sentry Gollum Edition and Horrified. And I thought, oh, my goodness, talk about picking great games. And um, we, we've it, that's a re-implementation of Sentry Spice Road, yep. a recommended game of the week of the past. And just an awesome game. In Sentry Gollum Edition, you are trying to buy these golems. They almost look like robots slash rock monsters and you're trading in your gems to get them and um, first game I lost 64 62 second game I won 63 43 so felt really good about yeah I learned I improved the game schooling but that was that was the one game we played what I really like about it it's an Emerson Matsuchi game you can have a conversation right like halfway through that second game we started talking talking about school just kind of getting caught up so it's a nice game that also allows for interacting so basically you lured your daughter into talking while she was playing so you could crush her yes the I, I distracted game. her so she didn't <laughs> see that i was acquiring <laughs> getting golems and building it so it's, oh there's the fifth one game over it's funny that you say that because i would not think the turns in that game are so fast that I would think mm-hmm. that there's no room for conversation. I think there was just two of us playing, so it was, you know, the first game was getting used to the game. It had been probably a year since we've played again yeah. uh, the last time, and the second game, instead of your turn, my turn, I mean, we're very much just having a conversation and playing our turns. Um, so that that's that's what we played, and I was really happy to just have that time with my kiddo and play it and he that is an excellent game designer I mean, yeah emerson matsuchi is does unbelievable family weight fast games clean yeah. clean design it was interesting for those of you that don't know century spice road and century Gollum came out at the exact same time and it was a situation where and, and from the the start emerson matsuchi had planned to do like a trilogy of games there are three games that were going to go together 
and they decided to, which is kind of interesting that we're talking about themes in, in yeah, game schooling right. later, but they'd come out with these two different versions, one that was trading in the eastern uh, area of the world, and then this golem with gems and things like that to kind of hit two different markets. Well, after they came out, then they kind of said, yeah, we're not going to do any more of the golem thing. We're just going to do this Century Spice Road continuation. And then people kind of had an up uproar. Right? And they eventually did release the three uh, Century games in Gollum Edition. So there's the original ones are Century, Eastern Wonders, Spice Road, Eastern Wonders, and The New World. And they ended up coming out with Gollum Editions for all of those. So kind of confusing, I guess, if you're new to the hobby, that both of those are the exact same games with different artwork and, and different gems. Uh, kind of components. Well, but. and similar with Plan B Games published the game, and then Plan B was sold. So I panicked and bought the other two games in Gollum because I wanted to have the full collection, right? We have only played the Century Gollum Edition, the first game, because we, we like that game so much. Yeah. We just, as a family, haven't played the other two well, yet. Well, and you can, those, you can combine you can, them all together. Play, so you can yeah. put the the Century Gollum edition in with the other, the second game, and maybe bridge the familiarity for your family there. Yeah, so sorry to get long-winded on that, but that was a nice happy surprise over the weekend. I, I had a lot of um, kid time, and it was nice to just play a board game and ha have my daughter choose the one to play. How about you? What have you played lately? We got some good stuff played. We played uh, Seven Wonders Architects, which we talked about last week oh, as yeah. a game that, that was acquired. We played it here... Uh, for a little bit and got a slight rule wrong. So I wanted to play it again and played that with my brother-in-law, future sister-in-law and my wife. And we played that one and that went over really well awesome. with the, with the correct rules once we fi finally did that, which is funny because it's not a complicated game. So the idea that we got a rule wrong is comical, um, but a great, I think that works the same way that you know, last week we had talked about does it do the same thing that the the Ticket to Ride New York does and the the pandemic hot zone. It's and it's a great introductory for getting you used to the symbology and the way that the game works to then graduate that up to to Seven Wonders, which is a little bit more complicated. A fast gameplay. You know, we're talking about Century Spice Road and Century Gollum. Those have fast turns. Seven Wonders Architects has fast turns. It's going yeah. around the table pretty fast, so that's a good one. I imagine you'll see that one uh, sooner rather than later. I thought you were making up words there. Symbology is a real word. The study or use <laughs> of symbols. I was thinking he means iconography. Then I, I went to Google. No, it's a real word. So I, I suppose lear learning, learning on our own podcast, Doug. This is a great start. Uh, then we play Potion Explosion. Hey, hold on, back oh, yeah. up real quick. How yep. did your wife? like seven wonders architects what would she you think? liked it okay. um i know my my sister-in-law she does not like regular seven wonders okay and she really enjoyed this one oh, so that good. was uh you know we, why i asked the question we need because to go out if and your get wife this. enjoyed playing it then it could be potentially played in my house you know? yes like i don't i don't think there would be and... i think it's a nice level up from century spice road actually it's yeah. in that same same weight class of game, not too complicated. Uh, we then played Potion Explosion, which is a, another great classic. Great game. Had a good time playing that. Um, and then last week, 
We played uh, Game Stormers yes. with our buddy John. He's part of uh, Game GameStormers.edu, that yep. website, before yep. I... Just talking off the cuff here, so it's you almost oh. tried to make him a part of Game Schooler, but then I no. think you reeled it back in yeah, a little game bit. Yeah, so John Spike, go ahead at GameStormers.edu. He's developing a game uh, to be used in classrooms to teach kids how to make games, yeah. develop games, and, and come up with ideas on what a game could be. So we did some some development and play testing to to kind of help him out, and we're looking forward to seeing where that develops and and moves along on its journey. Uh, John's pretty excited about it. He's got some great things planned. He's, He's put got, a lot into it. Got and, a great Twitter account and mm -hmm. website. He's got a lot of blogs up that are talking about the development. So go check him out if you haven't heard of him uh, at this point. It was fun to test, too. Yeah. I mean, it was fun to test and give feedback. It, that's such a great part of the hobby. Um, another quick connection. Today, I was actually for my day job, I was monitoring a school where John and I both used to teach. So okay. very small world. I'm telling, you know, colleagues of mine from 10 years ago that, oh, by the way, I met John Spike. He's my neighbor and we played board <laughs> games together. I just met him three weeks ago. But so it's one of those small world connections that um, when we talk about the hobby, bringing people together, it, it really does. Yep. And the last thing I want to talk about was Micro Macro Crime City just played it briefly here with my daughter beforehand. A Spiel de Jars winner. Yeah, sorry to crash family game night. No, that's okay. It was great filler time, and we were going to play a game. Emily wanted to play a game, and she said, oh, I want to pick it up. I'm like, I think I've got something that I want to try out. And she's like, I don't want to try out a new game. I'm like, Emily, that's you what are, she said. Huh? Yeah, I'm like, Emily, you are going to, I promise you are going to like this. It's essentially Where's Waldo the Game yeah. mixed with a detective type of, of thing. And she loved it. We played three game, three games of it. There's three scenarios, and she just wants she to, to do play more. A fourth. She wants more. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to diving back into that one. It's going to be an interesting review because there are some, and it lets you know right up front that there's some cases that are more uh, adult oriented. Yeah. And ones that are a little bit more kid friendly. Definitely going to work towards that middle school and certainly higher and high school things like that. But it was a Spiel de Jahres winner, which is normally a, a family-friendly family game. Family-friendly, yeah. And It'll be fun to test it out. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not family-friendly, but it does have some things some that we subject, need to look into subject further. matter to see. Um, and we'll fully vet that, certainly, before we would ever recommend that. Um, anything else for you played-wise? No, nothing fun to report. I played Shopkins Trouble with my youngest, and that's mm. an absolute disaster. That's a you master. Want, that's a modern you classic. See, you want to see a game that's supposed to be four minutes long, and next thing you know, you're 25 minutes in just trying to flip a two on the dial, and then you get smashed and bounce back into home. Now you got to get a six to get out. The game never ends. So, no, no nothing. No, is that a Reiner Knizia reskin? <laughs> All right. <laughs> moving on. Doug. All right. And then the last thing I want to get to is we talked about what games were acquiring or bringing in and i wanted to kind of finish up my list from last week i'm so excited one of them is great western trail oh. this is a more complicated game it, they just came out with a second edition uh orig orig originally released four or five years ago the designer is alexander fister from what i gather it's a, a heavier game but the theme is really well done yeah and i love the west American West. Are we going to play theme. that tonight after the podcast? You think? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we'll see. Um, so that's why I got that. It was more about the theme, and some of the mechanics seem to be crunchy and make sense. So I'm interested in trying that one out. 
a friend of ours had recommended that quite a while that said he had played it and said, you know, I think you, you might like this, even though it's got a long time, li- time, um, play time. It's about yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah, I want to see that. One. Um, so looking at that one, the other one I got is Kim Joy's magic bakery. Oh this, yeah. 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 This one I got to play with my kids. I think it may be a good game school or recommended game. I don't know. That's why I brought it in, but it's a cooperative game about baking stuff. It's got a little bit of a campaign mode to it where you're adding new wrinkles into the game as you complete, uh, complete each game. So approachable theme, fun artwork, and cooperative. So that's great. I think it's got a lot of good things going on to it. Uh, I also got Whirling Witchcraft, which I had hoped to play before Halloween, even though it's not super, the theme is not super strong. It's a kind of a cube pushing game with a kind of cute, cool mechanisms. You know, the way that you play the game and function in it is more interesting than the idea of the potion making and brewing, uh, potions and magic spells that type of stuff i think that's... Wait, wait, wait do you hear that you talked about it last week that's your wallet screaming again oh man you, you, i, I talked i didn't talk about whirling witchcraft last no week. you talked about your wallet screaming oh, because yeah. of all the yeah. games that you that's bought why, in that's you why i sit added on it. some games <laughs> that's Doug. why i sit on my wallet to <laughs> shut him up <laughs> wow. you stop whining i'll sit on you again oh. all right so those are the acquired games that i've got this week uh, hopefully we won't have any of those for <laughs> a Actually, while. With uh, what's coming in the mail, you yeah, we got have... some kickstarters coming in. Yeah. Uh, and before we go, uh, move on to the recommended game of the week. Want to remind everybody to contact us with questions, comments, rude remarks, whatever. No, e- well, not that. Uh, yeah, I know our listeners nice. are quality individuals. They would never leave rude remarks on our contact form or email us at email at gameschooler.com. It's so simple that you would think more people would use it, email at gameschooler.com. Yeah, but I podcasts all the time ask for people to interact. That's not the media. I, all the time, oh, fill out this form, do this, do that. That's work. People are relaxing. They're listening to us on their drive, on their walk, when they're in the middle of their prep, while they're supposed to be parenting, <laughs> while they're doing the dishes, whatever they're doing. Stop this or podcast. Or did I just tell you when I'm listening to podcasts? Yeah, stop anyway. this podcast immediately and respond at email at gameschooler.com. Or we might shut down, and, folks. And, and Doug will send you a game. Yeah, okay. Now, yeah, I, plenty. Pew, there's pew, pew, there's pew. plenty that did not make the cut that we will be sending out. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Back to the Future, Back in Time by Funko Games. Doug, give us the stats. Published in 2020, the designer is Prospero Hall. You've heard of them before. In our podcast, the art is by George Bletsis, Les McLean, and Steve Scott. For two to four players, plays in about 50 minutes for ages 10 and up. In the fully cooperative game Back to the Future, Back in Time, each player takes on the role of a major character from the movie Back to the Future. Marty McFly, Doc Brown, Jennifer Parker, or Einstein the dog. The objective of the game is to have the characters move around 1955 Hill Valley, collecting certain items in an effort to fix Doc's famous DeLorean time machine, defeat Biff Tannen, 
and his gang of troublemaking friends while ensuring that Marty's parents fall in love. Only when that is accomplished, players can then accelerate the DeLorean to 88 miles per hour down Main Street before the clock tower strikes 10.04 p.m. That is the description of the game. What do you like about this one, Michael? What do you like about this one, Doug? I like a lot of things. I do, too. 88 miles an hour doesn't seem that fast anymore. I remember watching that <laughs> no. as a kid and thinking, like, wow, 88 miles an hour. Not not when now, there's a, speed a limit car is accident in the, in the and, news where somebody's going 145. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> right. Uh, what I like about this game, I like this game takes me back to the movie. I have a strong... Um, connection to the movie when I'm playing it. I feel like I'm a part of Hill Valley, California in 1955, and I love knocking down Biff. Uh, I can't find where Hill Valley is in California. I've been to California a handful of times. I've looked for Hill Valley, can't find it, but that's a different podcast at a different time. Uh, The game works really well when... I enjoy playing this board game with you and with people that I've played games with. It works well when you're playing with a common game group. Uh, and I'll talk more about that when I get in the skills. But those are the big bullet points of what I really like about the game. How about you? I think it's engaging, an engaging game regardless of your familiarity with the franchise. Okay. So I think this game can be enjoyable regardless of whether you watched Back to the Future or not, uh, the construct of the game. If you are familiar, there's certainly going to be a lot of Easter eggs and things that you love and remember oh, yeah. from the movie. But I don't think that's a requirement. Um, I also love how they tackled... There is two Back to the Future games that came out right at the same time last year. One of them was this one, Back to the Future, Back I in Time. I wonder if you are going to talk about that. Which yeah. we are recommending. There was another one, Back to the Future, Dice Through Time. By Ravensburger. Yes. Yep. And that one tried to incorporate all three movies in a timeline. This one, focus on one focuses on one specific story of trying to get Marty's parents to fall in love and get the DeLorean fixed in time. Yeah, and, and you have that, to line everything up in yeah. order. So you're putting the movie in the, in the similar sequence in order to win the game. Yeah, so the same things that are happening in the movie, you're, the photograph of Marty's brother and sister are slowly disappearing if you can't get your parents to fall in love. You're trying to collect parts to fix the DeLorean, all that type of DeLorean? stuff. How about the DeLorean? It's like a little yeah, hot wheel. Yeah, a little hot wheel that comes in the car. So the components are awesome, but... They're fo- they focused only on one part, and so it's not scattered, and they can really play up the theme that's in the game, which comes through in the artwork and the design, which I think we had this as one of our games in the past, High Five, or I did, of yep. the an engrossing artwork game that just puts you into the feeling. Like when you open up the box, there's the flux capacitor on the board. Yeah. The the rule book looks like the cart uh, the comic book that George McFly reads during uh during the 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 movie, you know. Yep. So there's all of this like I said little easter eggs in there, but it it's a really engrossing game that I think tackled the tackled the right aspect of the story instead of focusing on jumping from timeline to timeline and and actually going after time travel in a game. Well, it's designed by Prospero Hall. And yeah. we, we just talked, I talked about Prospero Hall last week in, in our high five list. I, I'm i a big fan of this design team. You know, they've, they've done Horrified. They've done other cooperative games that um, 
not only incorporate art and pop culture together, but also have a lot of strategy built into it. And the thing about Back to the Future, you have to make the decisions as a group. You can't make decisions unilaterally because bad things will happen. This this is a cooperative that'll bring the pain the same way that pandemic will, where if you're not working together, you're gonna you're gonna get exposed here. Yeah, but at the same time, it also gives you great agency over your own you're gonna be rolling dice on your turn yeah. trying to accomplish actions. And you have power over that of whether you're going to keep rolling, settle with what you've got, push your luck a little bit. And then, like you said, there's, but at the same time, you are working in concert with everybody else in ways that maybe aren't as common in some other cooperative games. Uh, one of the other things I like about it, and this is only applicable for the time that we're recording this, but the value on this game oh my goodness. is nuts. Amazon right now has this game for $20. But it's not applicable now. I bought it six months ago for 15 bucks yeah. on Amazon. You know, so and, it, and it's it's Target's dropping. had it on sale, and but even at twenty, I mean, even yeah. if the the full MSRP for this game is only thirty dollars, that's even a great, at that, great you, price. it's a steal based yeah. on where where board gaming is right if now. If you like cooperative games, and, of course. Well, yeah, yeah. The, and that's going to be something that happens um, with any game. You know, yeah. if you don't like the style. The other thing that's really interesting on this one that's different than most cooperative games is a lot of cooperative games have a this game has three objectives, right? You need to uh, fix the DeLorean, you need to get your parents to fall in love, and you need to get your car to the right spot in order to, to Main By Street. By 10 4 p.m., yep. So you need to do three objectives. The idea of having a cooperative game with three objectives is not unique, but what is unique and really cool about this one is that even if you complete the objectives early, you have to wait till 10.04 because yeah. that's when the lightning strikes yeah. in the movie. You need that power. So the idea of you have to get it at the right time, you can't just get it three turns in and they're like, well, we won. We, yep. We're all set. No, you have to get it lined up perfectly, which is a real cool mechanism that works in there and combines the theme with the game to create a unique cooperative experience. And each each turn something happens that is going to give you an additional challenge. Yeah. Um, what You want to just describe that as you're moving the turn tracker down. Um, in, there are trouble cards. Yeah. They're called trouble. And um, you can, some of them you can see coming, and others they just kind of hit you, right? Yeah, there's, there's trouble cards and there are movement cards. So movement, the, the trouble cards you add to the thing, and a lot of times they give you rewards. They're like mini challenges yep. that pop up throughout the board. You might have to do something, and then you get an extra item. Or there's movement cards that you're doing every turn, and that's moving George and Lorraine, the mom and the dad, around the board in different sections. So you need to try and – you're constantly trying to pull them back together uh, so and they can follow them. And keep them away from Biff. And keep yep. them away from Biff. So you have these other little mini objectives that are popping up, and, of course, if you can be, complete the mini objectives, you're getting more powerful and stronger abilities um, I do have some concerns with this I game too. that I need to throw out there. One of them, it's a challenging game. This is our most complex game that we'll talk about tonight. It's a 2.33 yeah. out of 5. Yeah. So, yeah. so in the grand scheme of things, not complicated. Uh, but it no, is, but it is it is the most complex game that I'm going to talk about tonight. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in researching our podcast, and that's, that's the one critique um, 
if somebody's not as much, I mean, Doug and I are huge fan, and not to speak for you, Doug, but we've talked about this before. Huge fans of the Back to the Future franchise. Oh, I've got the there's yeah. Funkos in the in the yeah. game room here. Uh, yeah, and I I was allowed to take sick days very infrequently as a child. March Madness was the one day of the year where my parents would let me stay <laughs> home sick. The other one was when you remember when so Back fitting. to the Future Back to the Future two and three came out in very close sequence to each other, and I convinced my my ma to said ma let me just rent. Back to the Future 2 and 3 and have a day where I get to watch Back to the Future 3 for the first time. And so I was allowed to. Got to take a sick day and binge watch Back to the Future 2 and 3. Different different era. But anyways, um, the complexity, there are a few different moving parts in the game. And if you're not playing with somebody who's a seasoned gamer, there can be some frustration. Uh, you know, When my wife played this game, she thought that there were a few too many moving parts. And I think that's just well, and I, I think I have that under – so there's one thing that the, that the game is challenging. As as a cooperative, it's like you may not oh, win every, every I've game. I've never won. Yeah, we've never won. I've never won. The experience is still good. <laughs> it's fun. The thing that I would – which ties into what you're talking about with your wife is the idea of this game requires attention and focus. The whole that, time. Yeah, you can't you, have kids run around. You can't be you know, messing with your cell phone. You can't have a game on in the background. Making a brisket, at, which is yeah. <laughs> what I believe I was doing yes, when we played. That, yeah, making a brisket that was not done on time. <laughs> Michael had the meat sweats that night. Sure did. A different, different type of meat sweats. And the so I think you need to focus yeah. while you're playing, and everybody needs to be in, engaged and invested. That being said, I don't think it's a hard thing to do. Because of how gripping the gameplay is and those challenges that the keep game coming benefits in. from having a facilitator. That's yeah. that's part of what I was talking about earlier. If you play, if you have a game group, if you play games commonly with the same set of people, I think this is an easy game to incorporate because somebody naturally takes a lead, the other and, and does some of the upkeep from turn to turn and keeps the game moving while the other players can think and talk aloud and strategize and play yeah and the, the thing i put down here is that a good teacher helps being able to explain yep. the the rules oddly enough rodney spitz who does um watch it played online on youtube has a video for this of watch it played and goes through all the rules and stuff so if you are looking for yeah uh you want to skip the rule book that's a great great source because you need to have somebody that kind of knows how everything works certainly in that first game to try and like michael said facilitate uh the game as it moves along so other critiques no that's it for me uh you want to move on to skills yeah let's get after it all right what do you have for your skills well my first skill is a combination uh our core skill that that i've selected is decision making and coupled with that is group discussion. And, and where I'm coming from with those two skills being together, if you circle around the situation long enough and talk about what's happening, when I've played this, I typically land on, okay, here are two good decisions that we could do. Which one should we do? And we define decision-making as a game that allows students to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. And we also define group discussion as a game that instigates the sharing of ideas, solving problems, or providing feedback within the group. It, that definition for group discussion is what's happening constantly in this game. So those are the two big ones that are put together. And <clears throat> excuse me, I think 
it's the thing that I enjoy most about this game and why I didn't just jump on that question right away when you asked it. I, I The gameplay of this is different than any other cooperative because the, the group discussion is so central to what happens. It's a difficult game. Yeah. Biff is coming. In, with, in, with luck. Yeah. You, know, there's, yeah. you can have the best laid plans and things are going to askew. Yeah. So, and that, that's a theme that runs through my, my skills tonight. How about you? Well, this was one that I, I thought when I went into it, I'm like, I don't know how many skills there are going to be. And I felt like I had to leave good ones on the cutting room floor. Yep. And I definitely had group discussion as one of my five skills. The, the core skill that I have, and this is not in a lot of games, but I think this game does such a good job on it, and that's concentration. Yeah. which is a game that encourages a student to focus their attention or efforts on a task. Those You have three major tasks throughout the game and mini tasks that are popping up the entire time, and you've got to keep track of them. You've got to pay attention to where they are, where stuff is moving, and you really have to concentrate on the board as an individual and as a group. But you can't put all your focus on just one of the puzzles in the game. Exactly. Because yeah. then like, you have to move the DeLorean along. Right, and when when we've played the game before, uh, it, sometimes it's okay. We're going to put all of our energy and focus on this one task. Right, great, we did that. The love meter's going up, but the DeLorean hasn't moved. Oh, we just lost the game. What? Yeah. So and, and then it's if that you don't, balance and if you the don't, concentration. some of them will destroy you. Yeah. You know that yeah. love meter. If it's not to a certain level, the picture just starts. It just to show keeps up. disappearing. Yeah. yeah. So that it's a hard puzzle, and I think everybody kind of needs to concentrate and focus. And I think there's enough stuff to keep everyone's attention and focus on the game that I thought that this was a good one for, yeah, that's, for this one. That's really good. Did you have risk management? I did. That's I my too. second one. A game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. And the ability to prioritize is key yeah. in this game. There is risk all over the place, whether it's where Biff is going to move, where George and Lorraine are going to be at. Uh, you, you, in order to solve the task, you need to roll dice, and you're trying to roll the right results in order to complete the task. And sometimes you have two dice, and you need two of the exact right results, and is that the best Doesn't thing to go happen. for? You know, all of those type of things like, oh, is that the best use of my... And, and if two players are, are in the same spot, they can use some of their abilities together. So you're trying to think about that, and basically something is going to crumble. Yep. What are you going to let crumble? which is, is kind of one of the things that I think about when I think about risk management is one is preventing the risk. And then, you know, what we talked about that prioritization of, okay, three things are going to happen bad on this turn. Which one can we, which ones can we actually let happen and be okay or kind of skate for a little bit. But that, and that is such a tough skill for kiddos. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because if a kid wants to do something, and saying, you know, you, you might not be able to do that right now. You need to be able to prioritize. We have to move the DeLorean down. I understand that you want to knock down Biff, but that's not the best thing right now. Biff yeah. is already far away from George and Lorraine, and that's... Well, and even even that is each character has their own ability. strengths, yep. you know? And so sometimes you need to do something, and it's like, this is just the wrong guy to be trying this one, you know? Yeah. We need to... As much as we want to move the DeLorean, if the person that's doing that has no ability to really move it, 
we got to just wait another turn and let them, you know, let people focus wait on their strengths. And, is it Doc Brown or no? It's Einstein, Einstein who has the ability yeah, one, to One of them it. does, yeah. and yeah. and that's the other thing. As you get these uh, upgrades, is thinking about okay, do I want to make my character super strong in one thing, or diversify and yeah. kind of have a little bit of ability to do everything? And there's pros and cons to both of those things, you right. know. And sometimes you don't get a choice, but uh, certainly interesting concepts there. The next one I have on my list is logistics. Oh, good. Uh, a game that allows students to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption. This game has a lot of those pick up and deliver elements where you're, whether you're picking up George and moving him closer That's to Lorraine. That's how you complete tasks. You yeah. know, whether you're picking up an item and moving it somewhere else. A lot of that stuff is going on and you need to be able to visualize and figure out how can I put the pieces together that I need to put together. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I don't have anything to add other than that's good. All right, what do you got? Well, the next one I'm really talking to the educators or parents out there, and you know your kiddos. You might have that person who who is focused, who concentrates, and who's going to tell everybody what they need to do on their turn. And so the game does have an opportunity for that alpha gamer that Mm -hmm. we've talked about in the past. And I think if you counterbalance that with selflessness, and that's a game that inspires students to put the needs of others in front of their own, yeah. There, there's a chance to be a hero. And then there's there's other there's so many opportunities in this game when you look at the role that you have and the turn that you are actually playing, where the right thing just becomes apparent. And it might not always be the fun thing that you want to do in that moment. Yep. But it's the thing that's for the greater Needed. good. Yeah. yeah. And that skill isn't in a ton of, of our games that no. we've talked and about. Fan, but in this cooperative games. game, it is in abundance in, in Back to the Future. Yeah, because there's um, times where you may be picking up somebody and moving them just to get them closer for somebody else to do something on their turn. There's also times where, like I said earlier, if you got, if two people are in the same spot, they can kind of pool some of their resources together. Well, if you do that, the next time it comes around to my turn, I I have one less resource yep, or one less action to do because I helped somebody else roll an extra die. So those things are it's certainly one that was on my short list as well. But I, I, I want to approach it from an opportunity or an asset point of view of don't shy away. I'm talking to the educators here. To anybody, don't shy away from the alpha gamer. Uh, know that it's in there head on. This is an opportunity to practice a little bit of humility and selflessness and to just say, hey, we're going to get the whole group involved. Yeah. So Because you need all of the characters in order to win the game. Yeah, exactly. I think. I haven't actually won the game yet, but I'm speculating. <laughs> we'll tell you. We'll yeah. tell you in 2022 when we win. We'll go back uh, in time. Last skill I've got is time management. Mm. A game that improves the student's ability to organize and plan how long they spend on specific activities before running out of time. This ga- the license plate in uh, Back to the Future is out of time. That is yeah. the, the yeah, name yeah. on there, and that's a key component. We talked about it earlier with the, the way that the end game conditions come about and that there is the only thing that you need to do is make sure that all the tasks are done by the time the game ends. The yep. order that you do it and how long you spend and when you do it is completely up to you. And trying to balance that of, do I have enough time to move the DeLorean? Do we have all the parts? Can I even get up there? All yeah, of that and, and trying to calculate how long you're doing it. there's a little bit of conflict it. in there too, right? Yeah. Because once you get down to those last few turns, everybody's going to have a good idea. 
And that that leads into the, my last well, goal. Hold on. Go ahead. The, yeah, the yeah, one yeah, other yeah. thing I want to say is that even though we have not won this game, every time I've played it, oh, so close. It has come down to the wire. Yeah. It's like one sometimes a couple of dice rolls that you're like, we just missed it. Well, and you often rewind rewind it. Well, if we would have done this and we would have done that and we would have done this, you'll I've seen you do the last turn over like a command Z three times, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to go back three turns. If I would have done this and you would have done that and they would have done this, okay, then we would have won. Or sometimes so you find very, out there's no close. way we could have won. Yeah. Um, but that's a that's one of the things I appreciate in a cooperative game is I don't want to feel like I wasted the last 50 minutes. I also don't want to get crushed either. And there's a fine balance of feeling like we were this close and that if we just play it again, we can get it. Yeah. You know, and that's a fine line to to balance because you don't want to get to the end of 50 minutes and be like, well, that was a colossal waste of time. That was I've in, never had that futile, feeling, you know. You know, and and this game has usually taken us between a half hour to 45 minutes, I, I want to say, or any time that I've played it. The last skill that I have is cooperation, a game that encourages students to work together towards a common goal. I disagree. And I don't think this is in there. I <laughs> just I know um, we've talked about other cooperative games that this same design team has created, horrified. However, cooperation is not as strong in the other cooperative games that we've reviewed and talked about. You have to be working with each other on every single turn. Yeah. Doug mentioned earlier the football game in the background or the case when we played as as couples where kids running around, animals, a brisket, like those distractions, you need to be able to block them out as if you work in a cubicle, okay? Yeah. You have to be able to lock in and do work together with the people that you're playing with in a very fun way. It's not work, well, and but we, that level of cooperation is so strong in this and game. And we played that with Sue and Jenna, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, and this, so there was four people that were heavily invested. We played twice that night. Yeah. Two, right, right back, yep. back to back. And there was a situation that's like, I think the distractions led to people coming away thinking it was fiddly. When we played with Sue and Jenna, there was no distractions. It was just we were a focused. Clean game. And everybody was uh, on the up and up. So, so I think. So add it up. We, I've played this game seven or eight times now. I'm old for seven or eight, and it's still a recommended game. I, I think that's good. You've played it more than that, right? Yeah, yeah something like that. So, so you're like 0 for 15. And, no, not that bad. Not <laughs> okay. that bad. I think I'm in that same same range. Um, yeah, so it says a lot about something that you can lose and, and still want to play it and try again. And talk um, about it for an hour. Yeah. So anything else? Those are your... Those are my five. Uh, I had decision-making, group discussion, risk management, I mean, selflessness, cooperation. I had, you know, I, I contemplated putting resource management on yep. there. You're managing your dice and your actions. There's a lot spatial... Perception. You know, way yep. that people are moving around the board. So there's a lot of skills in here, and some of them we didn't even mention, that this is a, a, a really great game. And I want to caution people that even if you're not familiar with the theme or the movie, it's still a great game, and I think there's a lot of value in it. So don't be scared away from that by, well, I don't really like Back to the Future. Yeah, but under $30, I, I can't think of too many games. I mean, Summer Camp, Phil Walker Harding Summer Camp is a game that we've reviewed. Th this is a phenomenal value for the game, the amount sure, of replays. Yeah. Uh, what's the best setting for it, Doug? 
That was one note that I had from earlier. Do you think this works in a game environment, library, homeschool, game group, weekend with friends? Where, where do you see this happening? We've talked about th- all the skills. But yeah, I where? think it can work in a lot of places. I think a, a, a family afternoon with the TV turned off and we're not doing devices, you know, yeah, sa- Saturday ideal. afternoon, is, is this is a great game for that, yeah. that people are going to be engaged. There's the right amount of randomness, the right amount of control. Uh, in a classroom setting, I don't see it happening. No, but in an after-school program, I do. I mean, yeah, if a with kid g- has if, an if hour, gamers, if, if, you've got if it's 4 gamers, o'clock yeah. and you've got some middle school kids that are going to be there till 5, 5.30, get this game out. Yeah. yeah. So you just need to, to be in a situation where you can control the distractions. Yeah. Um, so that is Back to the Future, Back in Time, a recommended game of the week. If you haven't already, check this one out. And like we said, certainly available at a great price. As of the time of this, at, at the time of this recording, so that is Back to the Future, Back in Time, our recommended game of the week. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be talking about the themes in game schooling. How important is theme, and are some themes better than others? All right, so we're talking about themes in board games. For those of you that don't know, we've I think we covered this in a past episode, the idea of what a theme is, basically the subject matter of a game, whether yep. it's about the Old West, amusement parks, that type of thing. And so I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about how theming integrates into game school. Especially with Back to the Future. Yeah. How important is that? Um, how important do you think theme is when you're game schooling? Does that matter or not? I I think that question's too broad. I, I want you to get started on this one, and I'll 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 follow your lead from here, but... I mean, I think... F- I think the gameplay is more important than anything else. If the gameplay is engaging, exciting. I know I said I was going to send it over to you, and then I started getting yeah, my geez, answer. Yeah, all right, well. But I, I, I think the gameplay trumps the theme. I think so, too. I think a, I think the big thing with theme is more about drawing kids to the table. So if I've got a game about dinosaurs or a game about trading in India, I'm thinking that more kids are going to gravitate towards the dinosaur game than trading in India. Um, I could be wrong. Yeah. You know, or, or some of the, the other euros I'm like looking at my shelf, uh, a game that is about Marvel superheroes compared to a game that is about the crusades. All right. Here, here's where I was going to go. Yeah. I didn't know if it would fit in with this segment. Theme can be wildly misleading in game schooling. It's not sure. like I'm looking at a shelf of, of books and, oh, this one's clearly science fiction, this one's fantasy fiction. If I see Chocolate Factory and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a fun little game where I'm going to learn how to make chocolate. Yep. And you get into it and you're like, this is an economical brain burner. Yeah, this is ec- There's nothing to do with making chocolate other than it's everything to do with making chocolate. So I think theme can be very misleading in a game schooling sense, and that's why we recommend games and yeah. have our stringent criteria and all of that. Yeah, so there's certainly a part of that where, like you said, a theme can be very misleading, assuming all things are equal. You've got two equally weighted games. I think the idea of 
what's going to draw your kids and, and keep them interested is kind of where theme comes into play. Yeah, it's like theme what, is what, important for you, isn't it? In, in gameplay and adding it to your collection and all that. I I definitely like a theme that relates to the actions and what I'm actually doing in the board game. Yeah. And I think that works across the board because I think it makes it easier to learn and pick up more complicated games. If you've got a game where the theme is very closely aligned to what you're doing in the game, I think it makes it easier for people to learn it and you can teach it easier and explain the flow of everything. There's a lot of games that have arbitrary rules that are in there to nerf the game and make, you know, defend one strategy so nobody can spam it and make it bad, but it may not fit in thematically. So that's where I like theme in a game. Yeah. But if I'm thinking about introducing theme to or or games to my kids you know thinking about like kim joy uh, magic bakery the idea of like i think my kids would like the baking aspect of the game more so than century spice road yeah which is about trading spices one of those is going to draw them to the table more even though i think that they can have an equal experience with both of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it definitely goes into consideration for games that make it into my collection, into my house. I mean, last week's uh, high five list with animal games, I had plenty of games to choose from in my own house because my kids love animals. So yeah. there, I, I tend to buy games that have a strong thematic connection. But the gameplay itself and what happens in the game it, for me, is so much more um, powerful than the actual theme. But that, yeah. that's just well, where that's, I sit and how I, I see it. I mean, I have that as a question down there. Is is gameplay more important than theme? And I would say, to me, great gameplay can overcome any theme. Okay, so Century Spice Road, I hate to keep beating on that, but it's, that it's in my eyesight and... A non-exciting theme, but the gameplay is so good that yeah. I don't care what the theme is. It's engaging and, and what I am doing with it that makes it work for me. So I think, I think theme gameplay overcomes theme. Yeah, and I think the value of theme comes into two spots. One is how easy the, is it? Does it make the game to teach? Two, does it attract somebody to the table that maybe wouldn't stop the first time through? Okay. You know, that that says, okay, we're going to play this game about space. And you see some kids' faces light up because, like, what? You know, like, I love space. We're going to do that. We're going to do something about dinosaurs. Um, But if a kid loves space, loves dinosaurs, it has to have great gameplay for it to get replayed. That that's that's what I'm saying. Game will only take you so far. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, a, a great theme is irrelevant if the gameplay is garbage. Yeah. Um, so I think I think you're right on that. The gameplay is the most important part, and I think theme works in in as a more of a helper tool than the main course. Right? It's the appetizer. It gets you to the table. It might make you really want the main meal, but if the main meal is garbage, yeah, it's it's useless. Um, anything? Is there any themes that you would avoid? Like if you're introducing game, I mean, obviously yeah, there's if, the adult if, themes or wow, well, gosh, but, but if if I'm not confident in talking about the theme, the topic, the subject matter, I'm not going to bring it into the classroom. I have to be 
very confident in in the theme. And all that I mean by that, I mean there there's a a lot of topics that I I will gladly and openly talk about. You know, you want to in in the right setting. And then there are other topics that I'm just not going to talk about because they aren't relevant to the setting. Um, so I, I think it's I think for me it's it's a lot of it has to do with certainly your audience and and who you're playing games with but there you know I can see a whole bunch of groups that generic fantasy of elves goblins and wizards may not be appealing whatsoever yeah. you know that may be on the same level of trading in the mediterranean as far as an interest level I like both um, those but keep going you know so yeah. there, I think there's there's that level of it's not that I would necessarily avoid a specific theme but it goes to that whole thing of like knowing your audience and saying, okay, Timmy might like, you know, goblins and monsters, but if the four other kids he's playing with don't, maybe the thing about the amusement park is a better choice. Yeah, let let me be clear about what I was stumbling through earlier. When I play board games with people, with students, with other people's children, with my own children, with family, with friends, with other people's friends, I want to bring people together. So if it's an election year, and if it's <laughs> one month before the election, that's not when I'm going to bring that American campaign game to the table and say, yeah. hey, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to tell you who's right, and we're going to tell you who's wrong, and people are going to leave hating each other's guts. Yeah. So that's where sometimes having Something, an understanding some- of the theme and the context is important. And bo- I'm not going to bring a board game to the table just to teach a point if people aren't ready for it or if it's a sensitive issue. So I, I do have to know what's been happening with people lately because board games do touch on issues. Yeah. So Yeah, it, and that goes that, I that's think, just kind of what I was to the to the audience and knowing, you know, what who's comfortable with what, you know, yeah. and what type of thing. It's like it's not a way for you to push your agenda. Yeah. That right? that, that, that that's 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 it. All right. So to summarize, theme is not important unless <laughs> you want to get people to the table that you think the theme might captivate them or you think that it may um, make the game easier to teach. Both of us agree that gameplay trumps theme, but theme certainly still has a place in the hobby. And, I mean, for me, theme can make one game more interesting than the other. Yeah, and Definitely. it's more important for some people than others. Yeah, I think yep. that's, yeah. And, so, and 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 but I think it always comes down to an entry point, right? If I see a cool theme, yeah, and, or if it's a theme that I haven't seen very much of, it's always going to catch my eye before. Okay, here's another fantasy game. Here's another dungeon crawl game. Here's another, you know, think uh, zombie game. Yeah, think of some of the Cthulhu game. Some of these games that are just constant tropes. They're constantly coming out. That when I saw a game like Funfair. And it's about so a fresh a, theme does does make a difference that way if it, you're playing yeah it a catches, thousand games a year and, and it if catches you, my eye yeah okay you know? that's a really good point so all right so that is a little discussion about uh, board game themes and game schooling hopefully that was helpful to some of you and now we are going to move on to Michael's main course of the evening the game schooler high five on Dr Reiner Kanitia. If you're anything like us, you are constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. It's almost a sickness. This week's High Five includes the top five list of family-friendly games designed by Dr. Reiner Knizia. 
I am so glad we're doing this list because in episode 39, you bashed the good doctor often. That's when we had our My Little Scythe episode. I took notes of it. Oh, <laughs> I'm, so sorry. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I offended. I hurt quotes. you. I've personally hurt you oh, in that episode. Oh, I'm sure he can He can take that. Here's so. what I, I did make a, a change this week is I am no longer going to do honorable mentions at all. Whoa. And the only time I'm going to bring up something that is in my honorable mentions is if it happens to make your list. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. So you don't so need to know So you are what... so far above me in the board gaming sense and understanding no. that, what, how am I hearing this? What What's happening? I don't want to steal your thunder yeah, I by gotcha. talking about an no, honorable mention that may be on your list. Don't do it. Good. Good. All right. Go on, give me your number five, Michael. So I do, I misspoke because we just talked about a whole bunch of games that are more complex than our recommended game of the week, Back to the Future 2.33 in our last segment. But in this segment, I will not talk about a single game that has complexity with higher than two. Okay. So how did you misspoke? Well, because I talked about Chocolate Factory. I didn't know oh. we were going to talk about that. Game's got to be like a 3.3. Yeah. All, All right. right. Number five is Whale Riders 2021 release, art by Vincent Dutrait. Mentioned this in episode 39. It's a racing and trading game, and it's published by Grail Games. The complexity on Whale Riders is 1.95 out of five. Um, fun little game where you are racing down and then racing back up on the board. And all along the way, you can stop to pick up these little different cards, and then you decide um, you're trying to trade in cards for pearls. So there's there's a race in there, and you're also accumulating, but you don't know when to stop or when to go. Um, game that I've played with my 12-year-old and my 9-year-old daughters, and uh, they really enjoy it. I enjoy it as well. Number five, Whale Riders. Yeah, that one's on, not on my list because Michael won't let me play it. He's I've run it over like eight <laughs> times, man. You said you only want to play it with three people, so here it's a, it's a specialized All group. right, I will drop it at your house. It will be no. here when you get that 18-pound Kickstarter <laughs> no. tomorrow, which we know you're going to get before I do because you give the delivery driver's treats. Going on <laughs> to your list, Doug, what do you have at number five? All right, number five, I've got a game called High Society. Mm. It was published originally in 1995. There's a new edition out. Were by... you even born then? Yeah, <laughs> Michael, please. It was a... Yes, <laughs> I was a teen. High Society. I, I ha... I'm not familiar with that. Go All ahead. Right. So there uh, is a new release of this by Osprey Games that has great artwork on it. I'm not sure who did the artwork. I want to look it up just because Probably it's so. Dutray. I feel like it might be like Beth Sobel or something, but. I could be way off. Oh, you said um, the new version. Okay. Yeah. Who knows? It's not listed on Board Game Geek. What do you like about the use. game? All right. So High Society is super simple game. And you have a deck of money cards. And there are uh, items that are coming out that everybody is auctioning off. You're auctioning them off and you're bidding how much you will pay for that item. And they're all worth points. Some of them are worth negative points that oh, you're paying cool. not to take that card. The trick is at the end of the game, the person that has the most points wins, except the person that spent the most money cannot win. So you're trying to get the most Whoa. points without spending more than somebody else. Cool. And so it's a kind of a unique auction mechanic that's that that I really like of okay, I want to I don't I want this card, but I don't want to give away all my cards cuz then I'm going to lose for sure. 
So simple concept. That's something you'll kind of come across with with a lot of these Reiner Knizia games, I'm sure, as we go along the list, that they're they're simple concepts with very tricky decisions in yeah. them. Um, well, the complexity on high society is a 1.5. Yeah, so, so su- again. super simple. I used to There used to be an app for it. I don't know if it's still out there, um, but a great little app for this game, too, if you want to try and get your, your feet wet and try it out before you, That's great. you explore it any further. What do you got, number four, Michael? Number four, I have the Quest for El Dorado 2017 Spiel de Jars. Artist is Vincent Dutre and Franz Volwinkel. And the weight on this is 1.93 out of 5. It's published are, are by only, Robinsberger. This is, this is a high five on Reiner Knizia, not Vincent Dutre. <laughs> no, I, hey, I'm telling you, though. <laughs> I just wanted to give a shout-out to the artist. Um, yep. Do you have this on your list? I may. I, I thought, aren't we doing it where if somebody releases it, the other person talks I'll about I'll talk it about it if it's on my list when it when oh. that time period comes. Oh, well, I didn't know if I was supposed to explain the game here yeah, or not, yeah, man. Yeah, right, you the, explain the game, and if, if the, I've got the it, I'll just... for El Dorado, you are making a trip across the board, and there are different entry points in which you must have certain achievements before you can pass. So as you are going across the game board, um, there's it's almost like a little mini Indiana Jones adventure where you're trying to pick up little trinkets and, and, and make your way there as efficiently as possible. Another racing element built into it. Just an absolute fun game. And again, really easy to teach and to, to learn and to play. All right. My number four is Llama, which is a quick card game. Cards are numbered one through six with llamas, and you've got cards in your hand you're trying to get rid of, and you play a card. You can play the card that's face up in the middle of the table, so the same number. So if it's a four, I could put a four on there, or I could put a five, the next number higher. And you go all the way up until six, and then the llama comes after a six and then can be reset by a one. Yep. So that's how it kind of keeps looping around. The interesting part of this is that you can drop out of the round at any point and say I had five ones in my card or in my hand, at the end of the round, that's only going to be worth one point. Yeah. Um, so choosing when you, you know, obviously if you go out and, and get rid of all your cards, you're going to, you can get rid of one of your chips. Well, some of those chips can be a 10 point chip you could get rid of automatically yeah. go down. And so the once, first person, once you have 10, it's a black chip and yeah. all the other chips are worth white. So if you uh-huh. win and you have uh, 21, you can get rid of a black chip and go down to and 11. Down, you're down to 11. Yeah. The game the game end is triggered by somebody get 40 points, and then whoever has the lowest point at that points at that point wins. Great game, great for younger kids. My kids love this. It's a great one to get those tears out early um, because if you've got younger kids that are playing this game, they're gonna there's get a little bit of heartbreak. Yeah, you're there's gonna be a time where it's like I had one more card and now I have five points instead of zero, or I drew a card thinking that I could go an extra round and it ended before. So a great learning experience. I liked and because the games are so fast, you can move on to the next one. Yeah. And I think it goes a long way and it, it certainly did for my kids of that early devastation and then realizing, oh wait, we're playing like ten rounds of this. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. You can pick, always pick make up. your way yep. back up. Yeah, my number three is Llama, published in 2019. The weight on it is 1.05 out of 5. And Doug and I talked about this last week when you had Animal Upon Animal, and that was mm-hmm. a 1.04. And we've talked yep. about if you're at a 1, that's like rock, paper, scissors. So Llama is just so easy, published by Amigo. 
this is a great game for teaching colors and numbers and making those associations between colors and numbers. And it's also a really good game for risk management, knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them, mm. knowing when to walk away, and knowing when to run. Uh, I just <laughs> always wanted to say that, man. I feel good now. You shouldn't be and running then, away from the table with Llama. Yeah. So I have Llama at, at three, slightly higher than Doug had it at four. It is a great game in our house. Um, a game we're going to need to rebuy again because our dog has gotten a hold of a few cards and it, that game has some wear on it. <laughs> All right. looks like we just switched three and four because my number three is the quest for El Dorado. Oh. And everything Michael said, great game. This is his foray into deck building and combining it with a— Reiner Canizia is not mine, yeah, no. just to clarify. Yeah, the, the, the good doctor. So it's a, it's a great game. Uh Good artwork. I like I like the race element of this one. It's simple. It's not overly complicated. And uh, yeah, not too much more to add. It's a, it's a great choice, a little bit higher for me on my list. What do you got in number two? Well, now I'm going to break down my argument that I made last week. Both two and one are two-player card games. And last week in talking about the fox in the forest, I talked about, well, how that limits people. That bothered me because as I thought about this throughout the week, if you're game schooling, it doesn't necessarily mean you're in a class with 32 kids. Mm -hmm. You could be in a library. You could be in an after-school program, a YMCA, someplace where there's only a couple of kids who want to play games. And so both of these two games, I think, fit really well in the top five Reiner Knizia games. Number two is Lost Cities, 1999, published by Cosmos. It is a two-player game. The complexity is 1.49 out of five. And again, the art is by... As if it's a trade. <laughs> it is. Oh, gee. Um, but in Lost Cities, you are putting a card down and picking a card up on each one of your turns. And so, and did I get the order backwards? No, that's what it is. You put a card down, you pick a card up on each one of your turns. And so, just there's times where you're going to play a card that you may not want to play, but you have to. Um, and you're going on a journey. The theme isn't super strong. It's really more just like almost a math. It's well, I'm going to jump in because this is ahead. my number two as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, take it. So you are you basically have five different missions that you can go on. Essentially, it's ascending numbers. Yeah. You're putting your cards down in ascending order. So, And once you put down a, a five after a three, you can't go back and fill in the four. You've kind of given up the right to add that card and you need to get a certain each card is worth the point value of the number that's on it and you need to cancel out a 20 20 points yeah for you to score any points there's ways that you can multiply it but there is that thing where you're kind of waiting around for that seven to pop out because you got the the nine and the ten you want to try and maximize your points but you don't know if your opponent has it. Because there's only one in the whole deck. Yeah. That's the and, thing. There's one of each of those So cards. it's a great yeah. tug of war. You're always trying to manage what you're giving up. There's kind of a central marketplace that yeah. if I put a card down there, Michael could pick it up on his turn. So like, I'm not going to play that seven that I'm holding away from him until after he finally gives in and puts down the eight. And then I'm going to put it down. He's like, I can't grab it now. You know, so there's that yeah. great thing. And, and you were saying about you know, the limiting of two players. There's a lot of homeschoolers that have an an adult and a child. And the games like this are great. You can't pull out a big hour-long board game. Sometimes, you know, Catan, for example, 
only starts at three. Yeah. Well, and a husband, know. wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, two two people Perfect. that play games. I mean, I yep. have a full shelf of two player games now, and and this is on that shelf. All right, I'm I'm assuming our number ones are going to match up too. What do you have? I've got Shot and Totten as my number one. I've got Shot and Totten, Shot and Totten. So Shot and Totten has the same type of of thing of that, and I think Reiner, I think these two two games, I like them so much because of that. Um, the decisions, yeah the, yeah, the pressure. There's this constant tension and pressure. Sean Totten is you. You're battling over. It was also released as battle lines, but you're kind of fighting over ten different wall. different walls. You're trying to control each each wall by playing down little mini poker hands, kind of. Yep. And the thing that it has the same feeling as Lost Cities, but the reason that this one made number one for me is I love the deduction element. There's a moment where you can potentially prove that it's impossible for your opponent to beat you on one of the areas based on the cards that have already played. Then you win that part of the wall. You win that. And so looking around and seeing what the other person played and how aggressive you have to be, can I avoid not putting a card down? I love that puzzle to be like, okay, yeah, he can't win this. I can take this one. Yeah, and to add on to that, if you win three walls in a row in the middle you win the game so the competition's also ramped up on those middle pieces well any it's it's, it's not even the middle it's it's three in a row three in a row anywhere on the board so it's like you don't want to clump all of your stuff somebody has won two in a row you have to go get that other piece yeah and so the competition is just it, it ramps up within the game the complexity on Schottenhutten is 1.73 out of 5, and that's published here in the United States by Yellow with an I, I-E-L-L-O. Uh, fantastic, silly art uh, that that I really like in that game as well. And Battle Line is still being printed as well. So and I don't know how that even works. It's the exact same game. When you design 875 games. It's, the, can... it's the exact same game with, with a different name. Um, yeah. but they're both being published at, at the same time. It's not like one is out of print. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so that's our Reiner Knizia games. Did you have anything on your short list? Now well, I'll tell you. Um, one of the games that I didn't put on the list that I really like is a game called Money that he also published. And, and you're trading. There's a two rows of currency that come out. You're trying to collect current different currencies. And the more that you get of a set currency, the more points you get. And it's kind of interesting because if you're playing in a four players, there's two two offer piles out. Okay. And you're bidding currency from your hand that you already have. And then whoever bids the highest amount gets to take one of those. But then the one that their bid becomes another offer. Okay. And so everybody keeps taking stuff. And it's just kind of a real cool artwork type of thing and and I yeah. like it it just just missed the list for me for me the one that missed the list is my city and it missed the list because I haven't played it all the way through I'm right yeah. in the middle it's a legacy game it's a game that builds upon previous games played and I'm right in the middle of it I have two games that are on my want to play list which it seems like I should have probably 35 games <laughs> because he's designed so many but um, no that's that's just the one game that didn't make my top five. Um, that I do own that I, I haven't um, just didn't make the cut. All right. It, so that was the high five Reiner Knizia games. Did it live up to the hype for you, Michael? Yeah. Was how about every, for you? Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Those are all quality games. I'm happy good. with that list. You sure? No yeah. jokes? No jokes. Okay. No, those are all, all good games. Uh, I have... Because I'm Board Game Geek, there's a sub forum called 
Kinesia stinkers. And I thought I saw Doug Kotecki as a oh, moderator. No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, okay. Moderate. okay. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, you'll notice that there's no none of his bigger classic games on either of his list. And from what I've gathered, and this could be completely erroneous on my part, but there's not a bunch of... And I, I think you can pretty much say that across the board outside of the quest for Eldorado, there's not a lot of strong themes in his games. It's ma- he's a mathematician, math though. Guy. I mean, let's talk about He's so got a doctorate so they're, they're, in mathematics, they're, right? They're, yeah, so, they're, they're great, chunky math problems. Which is and, where those two-player duel games are so much fun. I yeah. mean, there's just tension built in from Go. So that's that's one of the reasons that I haven't really gravitated towards some of the bigger ones like Ra, Tigris and Euphrates, and Yellow and Yangtze. Like some of those games that are very popular, I haven't played, but the theme... You know, going back to our school of gaming, the theme doesn't draw me in, and yeah. I. Well, Ra you know, is one I want to play. That yeah. that's high on my list, and we could talk about that. I don't know how relevant it is to our game schooling community here, but um, that I can't find it. Yeah, you know, it's a 1999 release, and I, I could I'll check the price after this, but I I some of his games are yeah they 25 did a, years old and, and yeah they did a reprint not too long ago, Fantasy Flight or Z Man Games did and okay. Uh, those things kind of come and go. It'll, yeah. English I'll, edition's one hundred and seventy dollars right now. Oh, that's now, it. So. That's hardly yep. anything. E- eBay's got it for two ten. So. Oh, well, there. That, I mean, so one seventy is practically by, a steal. I, I couldn't find it. I meant I, I couldn't find it at a price I was willing to pay. So. All right. So that is the high five Reiner Canizia games. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to the podcast this week. Subscribe where you're listening. Leave us a review if you're so inclined. If you, if you're getting enjoyment from this podcast, let us know. Reach out to us. Email at gameschooler.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at GameschoolerU. And again, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start Game Schooling! Longest episode ever. <laughs>